thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Well, good morning, Connect Church. Man, it is so good uh, to gather together today and to make much of Jesus. Remember, the heartbeat behind our gathering together is to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's what we're convinced. Jesus really does work. Jesus really does make all the difference in the world. And we're glad today that together we can make much of him. Now, as we start out today, I've got to take a moment and address the monumental decision passed down by our Supreme Court uh, this last week. And, uh, and really, it's a moment just to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. You know, I think of Roe versus Wade and what has been uh, law in our area, for, in our land for, for a generation is now dead. And which has paved the way prayerfully for life. I try to imagine the scene in heaven if this were to take place. And the sound of the roar of applause of 63 million souls, all of whom were lost during this time to abortion, as they cheered on another big step for life, for children, and for families. And we celebrate what the Lord has done. We don't gloat, but we are grateful. That is, we sang in Psalm 27, verse 13, what Zach and his team sang, that we have seen a glimpse of the goodness of the Lord in the land we are living in today. But church, there is still much more work to be done. But we must ensure that, that Tennessee becomes a, a sanctuary, a safe haven for life for all children. The work has got to continue uh, because to this day there are still too many children in search of a forever home who don't have a forever home and need to be adopted. We need to work to the day that adoption is far cheaper than an abortion. We need to raise up foster care families out of the church to take care of our own communities. Children, there is so much work yet to be done. But we celebrate what the Lord has done this week. I sent a, yeah, go ahead, yeah. I sent a text out on Friday uh, to my elders and our deacons and to our staff and just celebrating this decision, uh, celebrating life, also, just reminding them that I read an article in the New York Times that said that if Roe v. Wade was overturned, 14%, that's how much legal abortions would drop in the United States. And so I looked up how many abortions were performed last year, and, and I did a little math. And here's what that reminds us, that over the next year, that a 14% drop in legal abortions would mean that over 88,000 children would live. That means that over 88,000 moms and dads would be spared the tragedy of abortion. That means over 175,000 grandparents would get to hold and spoil their grandbabies. And I sit back and I just say, thank you, Lord. And now we pray for life over our community. We pray for peace. We pray for the Lord's protection over some Supreme Court justices who made a brave decision over churches today, as many of which 
And thankfully, it seems that ours has been spared unless somebody wants to cause some disruption. Crisis pregnancy centers will come under attack. Yet we pray for God's peace and also in the land that we're living in. So let's just pray together. Father, we pray that. We thank you for the decision that took place, for the step in the right direction towards life. And God, we also pray for peace in our land. We pray your protection over Supreme Court justices, your churches, Father, crisis pregnancy centers all across our nation. And Father, we work to the, towards the day where life is honored and celebrated and protected in every corner of our communities and our countries, in our country, Father. We ask that you would continue to work to the good in the land we're living in. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for just allowing me a few moments there uh, to celebrate. Today, we go back to the story in life of Nehemiah, and we again, again restate a truth that we see at work both in his life and in his heart. And that is this, where God is at work, there's an enemy on the move. Where God is at work, there's an enemy on the move. We know that God is at work in Nehemiah, putting in Nehemiah's heart this vision, this mission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that have lied in ruins for over a hundred years. Nehemiah in Scripture is now on the ground in Jerusalem, has rallied the people of God to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. And we also see what we know to be true and will continue to be true as we continue to study the book. And that is this, that when there is spiritual activity, spiritual activity always breeds spiritual activity. We saw last week that opposition began to rise against Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls from the governor of Samaria and Sanballat to Tobiah of the Ammonites to Geshem of the Arabs. And it seems as if the whole world is against Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah's vision did two things. Number one, it took control from those who had control for a long time. And number two, it was going to bring about change. I don't, I don't know about you, I, any of us, none of us like to lose control and not a whole of us like a whole lot of change. Thus, we see the opposition begin to rise. And today, we're going to see this opposition again ratchet up to another dangerous level. Opposition that began in chapter 2 continues now in chapter 4 and will culminate next week in chapter 6. Nehemiah's critics and his enemies, they are armed with an effective weapon that has killed many a vision and derailed many a visionary. You ready? That weapon is criticism. It is the weaponization of words. But here's the question we have in the text today. Will Nehemiah's vision die in the mouths and at the feet of his critics? If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, if you will. And as you turn there, I just got a question for you that I know the answer to. Don't you just hate criticism? Man, if you're here and you're like, man, I love criticism. Something's wrong with you? Nobody really likes a whole lot of criticism. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, uh, me and my 
my middle brother, who's a pastor down in Seymour, we were over in Panama City Beach. We were pe- uh, preaching a, a youth camp. Uh, we were doing it together, and I think it was First Baptist Sevierville. We were preaching their, their youth camp. And uh, we were out in the pool with our families playing. And, and, and I've got, he's got a daughter by the name of Nora Beth who's precious, cute little girl. And I'll never forget, we were out in the pool one day, and she goes, Hey, Uncle Anthony. That's what she called me, Uncle Anthony. Uh, hey, Uncle Anthony, will you just help me carry me out in the deep? And I was like, Absolutely. And, and so I'm just holding, this is this great uncle niece moment. And then as I'm holding her, she looks up at me and goes, Hey, hey, Uncle Anthony. I was like, Yes, sweetheart. She goes, You're fat. I was like, What? She goes, You're fat. I was like, I just got fat shamed by a four-year-old little girl. And so I left her in the deep end, swam to the other side. And I, listen, I was like, man, it was hurtful, right? Well, later on that day, I was talking with some chaperones. And one of the chaperones, a lady came up to me, and, and she wasn't super thin. And she came up to me and said, hey, Anthony, your niece, Nora Beth, she came up to me and she called me fat. And I was like, Oh, no, how many of us are there? How many has she gone after and fat-shamed? And, and we begin to just kind of talk around, and, and still to this day, we don't know the number of victims of that week of camp. We have formed a group, gotten T-shirts, we have a hashtag. We're, we're coming together. But here's the deal, you ready? Criticism, even if it's true, it stings a little, don't it? Now, before you and I look at the words of the critics of Nehemiah, Yet again this week, there's a couple of truths that I want to remind you of that are important. And that is this, some tough truths. Not all criticism is bad. And you ready? Not everyone is your enemy. So before we go there, we got got to swallow some tough truths here. Not all criticism is bad, and not everybody is really your enemy. For instance, some might come to me and say, Hey, Pastor Anthony, you won't believe this. But my boss told me I had to start showing up for work on time and I can't work in my pajamas. He is the devil. He is my enemy. And you get going, no, no, really, no, he isn't. You really don't know what an enemy is all about. You might come to me and go, hey, Pastor, you won't believe this. I I was driving. I was only going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit when all of a sudden this cop pulls behind me, pulls me over, and has the audacity to write me a ticket. Lord, smite him. He is my enemy. Go, no. Really, he's, he's not your enemy. Man, I've had lunches with guys who completely leave their wives for somebody else, and they'll sit with me and go, Man, I, I can't believe that not only did I divorce her, but listen, she won't let me have everything I want. She is my enemy. Lord, go get her. Hey, by the way, the Lord ain't going after her. And we begin to see this truth. She's not the enemy. Those other guys in those other scenarios aren't the enemy. That most of the time, you and I, are our own worst enemy, aren't we? And we see that. Whether it's in those scenarios or just in life. And by the way, let me tell you something about today's message. Today's message is focused on criticism that is meant to harm, to hurt, or destroy you. Not criticism that you and I deserve. And we've got to get that out of the way pretty quick. Hey, can I tell you who also is not an enemy in your life? 
And that is the brother or sister in Christ who loves you enough to call out your sin in your life and to challenge you and to help you follow Jesus. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That picture there is of taking a broken fishing net and gently and intimately weaving it back together until it is whole again. You should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. You also may be tempted. I'm reminded of Jesus in John chapter 8. Remember that story? There was a woman caught in adultery. Hey, by the way, where's the guy? Nowhere to be seen. Like, why do they take her out? It takes two to tango. Anyway, but they take the woman out. And men begin to take up stones to kill her. But watch this conversation with Jesus. We'll highlight a couple of points. Jesus tells the crowd of men with stones, let any of you who is without sin be the first to cast or to throw that stone at her. We know how the story plays out. All of a sudden, stones begin to drop and sinners begin to leave. And it's just Jesus and the woman. And watch what he does here. And neither do I condemn you when he asks, where have those who have condemned you gone? He says, neither do I condemn you. And watch what he says here. Go and sin no more. Well, watch this. He loves her enough not to just disregard her sin, but he points it out. He challenges her, go and sin no more. And he reminds her that he's not there to condemn her. This little bit of, uh, of criticism leveled against her and Jesus' response is not done from an enemy of hers, but a friend, someone who loves her and soon will die for her. Jesus was not her enemy. For the brother or sister in Christ who lovingly confronts you about sin in your life and calls you to sin no more, they are not your enemy, they are your friend. And so here's some helpful things as we consider what it is to face criticism. And I love this proverb, you ready? Wounds from a friend can be trusted in Proverbs 27. But an enemy, the Bible says, multiplies kisses. You know what that means? Although criticism or correction from a friend, it stings a little, it can be trusted. Oh, but your enemy will multiply the kisses. And so here's two things that we find, really a couple challenges. Number one, surround yourself with friends who will love Jesus enough and love you enough to be honest with you. And number two, surround yourself with people who will pray for you behind your back. Because when God is at work in your life, there will be plenty of critics who will talk about you behind your back. So surround yourself with those who will pray for you behind your back. And here's something helpful as you face criticism. If there is truth in that criticism, let it correct you. Do not let it consume or cripple you. If the criticism received is true, spoken from a friend out of love and hopes to restore you, receive it graciously, learn from it, and grow with it. But if the criticism is untrue, it is spoken by that of your enemy who wants to destroy you. Reject and resist that criticism at all cost. I love this old adage, you ready? Don't let compliments go to your head, and don't let criticism get to your heart. Don't let it get there. Don't let it get there. Anthony, 
I hate criticism. And, and I, don't, I don't want criticism in my life. How, how is it that I can live my life to avoid the critic and their criticism? You ready? There's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. It's the only way you can go about it. Well, Ethan, I, I just can't stand it when people are mad at me. The more and more mad they are, the more and more you get used to it, trust me. I just can't stand it. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. This is so good. He said this, If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. They're only mad at you about one or two things. You know how bad you are. Don't be angry at them. You know, there's some folks who just don't like me in my life. Folks who just mad at me for something or another. And you know what I always think when they come after me? They say something bad about me. or I always think, you just don't know half of it. Just don't know the half of it. And so I position my life to focus on the praise of God rather than the praise of people. Pleasing God rather than just pleasing God. People. I love this, you ready? If you don't live for the praise of men, you won't die by their criticisms. In church, stop living for the praise of men and live to please God. It reminds me of when Peter and the apostles were told by the religious elite to stop sharing the gospel, to stop talking about Jesus and preaching uh, Jesus. Here was their response in Acts 5.29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Please God. Stop trying to please your critics because let me tell you something, you never will. You never, ever will. One journalist once said this, a Herbert Swope, he said, I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure, which is this, try and please everybody. You want to fail? Try to please them all. And you'll find that you never, ever will. So when it comes to criticism, we must know who the real enemy is. And not everyone is our enemy. Not all criticism is bad. But bad criticism coming from an enemy. And by the way, an enemy who is out to harm, to hurt, or destroy you, when it comes to their criticism, reject it and resist it. And refocus your attention on Jesus and the vision and the mission ahead of you. But can I tell you another working of criticism real quick? What else it tries to do in our lives? You know what criticism tries to do? It tries to convince you and I that the whole world's against us, doesn't it? That everybody is out to get us. You know, I get to thinking of Nehemiah's story. And this is, by the way, an artist's rendering of what the city of Jerusalem would look like after the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt by Nehemiah. And as we study Nehemiah 2 and 4 and chapter 6, we begin to see that he has quite a few enemies. Now, to the north, he has Sanballat and the Samaritan army. 
To the east, he has Tobiah and the Ammonites. To the south, he has Geshem and the Arabs. And then to the west, he has the people of Ashdod who don't want them to rebuild the walls. And I'm going to tell you something. Standing in that city, rebuilding the walls, Nehemiah must have thought the entire world is against me. Where God was at work in the city, the enemy was on the move. In the life and the story of Nehemiah. But you know what I got to thinking about on Nehemiah? That those who were for him were far greater than those who are against him. Hey, hey, think of it. First of all, God, the creator of the universe, the one with all power, was for Nehemiah, for it was God who put that vision in his heart. How about the pagan king Artaxerxes who sent Nehemiah with his blessings? How about the queen who was with Artaxerxes, who I would argue is Esther, still on the scene, working on behalf of the people of God? He had her blessing. How about the Jews inside the city who were rebuilding the walls? How how about the Jewish people outside of the city who were cheering Nehemiah on? Criticism's working in our life tries to convince us that the whole world is against us. But let me remind you, believer, what God convinces us of in his word. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31 is this. If God is for us, let me ask you, who can be against us? If God is for you, who is it that can really stand against you? Believer in Christ not in your sin, not in your rebellion, but in Christ. God is for you. And that means that he is greater than anyone, any enemy who can stand against you. But for Nehemiah's enemies, they are convinced he must be stopped. Now watch this criticism that comes his way in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah recounts, he became angry and was greatly incensed. You go, Andy, what does it look like to be angry and greatly incensed? Hey, turn on the news when you get home. Better yet, just don't do that. Just trust me. It's an ugly sight. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. No, wait wait a second. Don't just skip over this part here. Nehemiah's enemies weren't just sending him an ugly text message. They were just sub-posting on social media about it, right? They have a loudspeaker, and in front of Nehemiah and the people he has put in charge of building his wall, they are tearing him down with their words. They're weaponizing their words through criticism. And here's what they say. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? You know, back in my day, these are fighting words. Then Tobias steps up, the Ammonite, who's at his side and said, what what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their walls of stone. So, So catch this. In their criticism, they are calling Nehemiah and his people weak. They dismiss him as just a bunch of wishful thinkers. Tobiah chimes in, adding that they are woefully inept, unable, unqualified to build the wall right. Man, these guys leave no stone unturned in their criticism. They attack everything and everyone. 
we notice the nature of this criticism is not behind the scenes. It's, it's not hidden. It's out loud for everyone to hear. His enemies, Nehemiah's enemies can hear it. The people building the wall are discouraged by it. But you know what I can imagine old Nehemiah doing? I can imagine as he's hearing these criticisms pour over the wall, my guess is he's going, hey, men, keep mixing that mortar. Hey, team, keep stacking that stone. Keep building. Keep building. You know, in our house, let me see if I've, oh, there they are. There's my balloon. Uh, by the way, these are some of our VBS balloons, but I'm going to tell you there's nothing brought into our house that brings more drama amongst my kids than balloons. Y'all who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Everybody loves balloons. Everybody wants balloons, and they want to keep the balloons. But let me tell you something about balloons. They fly away. And more times than not, they die a premature death, right? They pop somewhere. And I'm going to tell you, amongst my kids, they will weep, and they will cry, and they will gnash teeth when one of these things pops. Now, let me tell you what criticism does. You ready? It takes your balloon that makes you so happy, and it pops it. Now, let me tell you what I've known my kids. Hey, Aaron, are you holding Chloe? Just cover her ears for a moment, would you? Okay, so here's what we do with our kids. We've told them that balloons never survive the night, okay? And so what happens, you bring a balloon in our house, they are with Jesus by morning, and at night I take a scissor and I gut them, and we throw them away. You can uncover her ears now. Now listen, criticism, man, it just seeks to pop your balloon. And the question is, is what do we do when that happens? Listen to what Nehemiah does when he receives this first wave of criticism. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. Isn't that good? Don't play the victim. The God of heaven will give us success. When his servants will start rebuilding, we his servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, O Samballot, hey, Tobiah, hey, Geshem, as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim historically to its rights, meaning this, that because you are an enemy of God, you will have no part in the work that God is doing. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't criticize the criticizers. He doesn't trade insults. He doesn't post on social media. He doesn't play the victim. He pivots and focuses not on those who are criticizing him, rather on the one who qualified him and called him to carry out this vision to rebuild the walls. He didn't react in like kind, meaning this. He did exactly as 1 Peter 3, 9 teaches the believer. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Hear me. An enemy will seek to tear you down with their words in order to entice you to quit. And he's going to pop your balloon so that you're going to just give up. And I'm telling you, believer, keep on building. You know what he or she will do? They'll write anonymous letters and send them to you. Don't you just love those things? They write emails. They use weapons like rumor and gossip and slander. They love posting on social media about you without using your name. Those people who are nothing more than cowards behind keyboards, tearing people down in an arena of false heroics. But I got a warning for you. 
Do not become the enemy of somebody else's story by being brought down with your enemy. Being brought down to their level. Meaning this, you ready? You are a son and a daughter of the king. Rumors and gossip and slander are the language of the enemy. They are not suitable on the lips or in the heart of a child of God. When we gossip, when we slander, we speak the language of the enemy and we sound nothing like Jesus. Don't you become the enemy in someone else's story. But Anthony, what happens when they, there's moments we must speak up and we must criticize, we must we must talk with another believer maybe and correct them. And what do we do? Well, Ephesians kind of teaches us this well. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. When we must criticize, or, or the Scripture puts it when we're done the right way, then we build others up. We've got to let our words pass through three gates. You ready? Here's the first gate. Is it true? If it ain't true, don't you have nothing to do with it. If you don't know that it's true, keep your mouth quiet until you know that it is because we are people of truth, not people of conspiracy, not people of hearsay or rumors. We are people of truth. Is it true? Here's the other gate. You ready? Is it necessary? Is it necessary? that I engage in this conversation. You ready? And here's what I mean by the third gate. It is kind. Is it spoken in both truth and love? And is its aim to build that person up, to restore them in their faith and their walk with Jesus Christ? If your words pass through these three gates, you position yourself as a friend rather than an enemy, and your criticism is constructive, and it builds up. And it builds others up. But pass them through those gates. You say, Anthony, what do we do when a sandballot comes up against us? When a Tobiah, a Geshem, Yashadite, well, what do we do when these enemies come against us? What we do is the Lord challenged King Asa in 2 Chronicles chapter 15 as he's rebuilding the altar and worship to God and rebuilding the people of God. A prophet comes to him and tells him what the Lord says to him. And here's what the Bible says. But as for you, King Asa, be strong and do not give up for your work will be rewarded. So what if Sambalat comes and Tobiah and Geshem? So what if they come? You stay strong. Do not give up for your work will be rewarded. Now you think of Nehemiah from the north, south, and east to the west. <laughs> the whole world seems to be against him. His critics are hurling insults over the wall. What does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6 so we built the wall. He didn't let his vision, this mission that God, he didn't let it die at the feet of his critics. He went ahead and he built the wall anyway. Church, 
Don't let God's vision for your life, the mission he's called you to, die in the mouth and at the feet of your critics. Keep building. Keep building. Back in uh, 2020, in January 2020, I'll tell you what, as a pastor, it was a little bit of a hard time. We're a brand new church. We're getting plunged into COVID and and, and life is just in this crazy thing. COVID's soon to come, and you have all these decisions that are made. It's just a crazy time. It was in that very season that every time we went out to the mailbox, it seemed, wasn't it, Aaron? There was a letter in there addressed to me. No return address. You open it up, and there's no signature. And I know what people say. Never read an anonymous note. Yeah, sure, whatever. You're going to read it. You're going to read it. And week after week... I had an enemy that would write the worst letters to me. I mean, tearing me up and down. Another, our church, my kids, my wife. Every week, an anonymous letter. It's just ugly. At the same time, there was a social media post after post that just tore me down lies and untruth and Man, it was just criticism after criticism after criticism. Quickly seen as an enemy. It was very easy to see that. But it doesn't matter. Criticism, and it's working out in your life. It's just hard, isn't it? It's just hard. And so, after receiving several weeks' worth of letters and, and plenty of social media posts by another enemy, or the same, who knows, Man, I just had to get away with the Lord because you know what happened? That enemy, that critic, their voice was becoming louder than his voice in my head. And I had to clear my thoughts. So, man, I, I went away. I spent some time with the Lord. And I remember thinking this after my time with him. The words that I read on those papers and, and that letter and that I saw on social media, that's not how God sees me. That's just how my enemy sees me. That's how they want to see me. That's not how God sees me. I'm reminded of his word that because God is for me, who is this that can stand against me? Why another thought given their way? Those who are for me are far greater than this that is against me. And I made a commitment to the Lord then. I will not become my enemy. I will not respond in like kind. The battle I will fight is here with the Lord and allow him to fight the other battles for me. And I will keep building. I will stay strong and I will not give up. Christian, if you follow Jesus, really expect people to criticize you. But you ought to live so nobody will believe them. Criticism will come, but you live in such a way that nobody, nobody will believe them. You know, in our offices soon after, I, uh, we put up a bulletin board. And from time to time, we call it the fruit wall. From time to time, people send us notes or write us letters or an email or a post. And, and some, most of them we try to get up there and, and we just plaster on this wall. And you could tell, I mean, in some sections it's several uh, letters or emails thinking these are just all people saying hey man thanks for what you're doing God's used you and this is in a place in our office where everybody has to see it you go to the break room you got to see the wall 
You go to the bathroom, you got to see this thing. I want it in a prominent position. Why? As a reminder that when criticism does come, and I'm not talking about constructive criticism that makes us better and that we deserve, but when criticism from an enemy does come, greater are those who are for you than that one who's against you. There's a, there's a uh, statement we put above there, and I'll make this for the whole church, but it says this, don't be the man or woman of God who will have 100 people express their thanks and love for how God is using you, and yet you spend all day thinking about the one person who was critical of you. It takes just one minute to glance at that wall and go, you know what, maybe we're not all bad. And people don't even know the half of it. And that God can use you. You see, an enemy is someone who desires to harm you, to hurt you, to destroy you. But if God is for you, you tell me who can be against you, believer. Don't you become the enemy of someone else's story. Don't you forget how God sees you through Christ. Remember this, when it seems the whole world is against you, that there are far more for you than those who are against you. I reminded you last week of an enemy that is far greater than a sand ballad or a Geshem or a Tobiah or the Ashadites. An enemy that comes at us with far more than just criticism, but a very kill shot to our soul. An enemy that I tell you today and I remind you that we are powerless against. And yet Romans chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, teaches of the hope that we have, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into the hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still yet powerless, Christ died for those of us who were ungodly. And we're reminded that even against an enemy like our sin and our own selfishness, that God demonstrated His love for us in this in verse 8. How while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if he can defeat that enemy, who is it again that can stand against you if God is for you? Who is it? Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.